As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman once again for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series and the final episode of our Pipeline Rankings, Corey's Pipeline Rankings. I shouldn't steal your credit there, Corey. Your organizational under-23 rankings. We're going with for the top eight today. That starts at number eight with the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, and I think Minnesota, you know, probably doesn't have the, the true, true high-end guy that the other systems ahead of them will. Even though Matt Boldy's an excellent prospect, Jesper Walstead's an excellent prospect, Marco Rossi's an excellent prospect. But I just with Minnesota, what I see here is just a, a real collection of excellent prospects who will be important NHL players on the roster at four defense and goaltender. Yeah, and ultimately, when I think of Minnesota and the position they're in right now, it it all comes back to those two big buyouts they made and the massive cap charge that they're going to carry for the next couple years. The only way to survive something like that and remain competitive, remain a borderline contender, which I think it's fair to call Minnesota after these last couple years, is to have you know six or seven guys on ELCs in their lineup playing real roles. And it kind of looks like they might be able to pull that off here now. Um, you know, timing-wise, we'll see. Uh, you know, Matt Boldy only has two more years on the ELC, uh, but especially when you look at when does Yurov come over? But Rossi should be there. Faber should be there within a couple years. Uh, they have a chance to to do something like that. Yeah, uh, 
all those guys, I agree, should be arriving relatively soon. I think eventually when my, if Matt Dumba moves on due to that uh, the cap issues that you mentioned, I think Kalen Addison can come in and help the team. I think Jesper Wallstedt will be there within a couple of years as a as a good cheap goaltender. Uh, Euros probably the, the the big question mark and exactly when he comes, when will he help the Minnesota Wild? But if they can get him to come in the next couple of years, I think he's a guy who can help that team in in the relatively near future. Uh, so, uh, yes, I mean, and, and if those, those guys all hitting or at least most of them hitting will be key to them remaining a contender. Boldy does actually only have one more year on the ELC. I forgot that he had already burned one, but nonetheless, uh, moving down in their system a little bit, they added some talent in this year's draft. Like all teams did. Liam Ogren, uh, was actually their first, first round pick. And he's a guy who, uh, certainly has the tools to be a top nine forward. Murat Husnadinov was their second rounder in 2020. Ryan O'Rourke, actually they had multiple second rounders in 2020. Husnadinov and Ryan O'Rourke. Damon Hunt, uh, was, I think, Maybe it might have been a third rounder in 2020. That's another collection of prospects here, though, that have a chance to make an impact in the NHL. Right. I don't think the defensemen are as high in in, in the system as the forwards are, even though I think Brock Faber is an excellent prospect. But all those guys, Faber, O'Rourke, Hunt, uh, are guys that you think can come in and, and help a team play legitimate NHL minutes. I don't know if O'Rourke or Hunt or or Faber are going to be the biggest offensive guys or or Lambos for that matter. But I can see particularly Lambos uh, being a secondary offensive guy. Addison is a, is a clear power play guy. So there's a lot of interesting defensemen on the way from Minnesota. Any of this, these prospects in the kind of this later tier here that, that you want to highlight, whether it's Rieger Lorenz, Jack Peart, uh, Adam Beckman actually I think is in the tier above, uh, Marshall Warren, Mikey Milne, Hunter Haight, anyone who really jumps to mind, Vladdy Firstov. I think Jack Peart's the most interesting one. I think this is a guy who had a very good freshman season. I thought at St. Cloud, not the biggest guy in, in terms of defenseman, but he's a guy with with really good hockey sense, and, and he's a guy that I could possibly see having a good sophomore season and and, and maybe elevating this time next year. All right, at number seven, you had the Montreal Canadiens, and obviously a a splashy offseason from Montreal. They have the first overall pick they used to take Yuri Slavkovsky. Uh, later in the first round, they take Philip Messar. They they trade for Kirby Doc. Uh, all of a sudden, that, that's a lot of names toward the top of this prospect list acquired this summer. Right, and, and it's led by Yuri Slavkovsky, the first overall selection in the draft. And uh, I, I think really highly of some of the other young guys they have in, in this organization, particularly Cole Caulfield and Kirby Doc, but. But Slavkovsky, for reasons we've discussed many times on on this podcast, is a guy with a really unique toolkit and a, and a and a guy with the most potential uh, to be an impact player in the National Hockey League among this group. The defensemen at the top of their group, Caden Gooley and Justin Barron. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Like to me, I look at this and I see potentially a classic shutdown pair, kind of in the mold of what Carolina's maybe been rolling with. But what do you see in Gooley and Barron? What what is their potential? What should Montreal fans be looking forward to? A uh, Gooley and Barron are both you know big defensemen. I don't know if either of them are going to be significant offensive contributors in the NHL, but I can see secondary offense, first pass defensemen t- type of players. Uh, Barron's probably a little bit better of a skater than Gooley, even though Gooley's a strong skater. Barron's just a high-end skater, and Gooley's got really high-end physicality. He's a he's a nasty prick to play against, and uh, those are, I would say, are some of the distinct differences, but I can see both of them being really you know solid second-pair defensemen in the National Hockey League. One prospect who's kind of trended up over the course of the last year is Joshua Wah. How has he, you know, raised his profile a little bit? 
Uh, well, he had an amazing year in, in, in the queue. He was one of the top scorers in the CHL, a big part of a top team in the CHL this season. Just got a ton of skill and hockey sense, and he can score goals. I think with Josh Waugh, the question is going to be, does the way he play translate into the National Hockey League? He's not a great skater. He's not overly physical. Doesn't get inside that much. Uh, so, does that kind of player work in the NHL? I think he's got a chance to be a, to be an NHL player. I think the skill and the hockey sense is is that good. But he's got to prove it. I mean, even when we were watching him at some of the at the World Junior Games this season, you know, he was he, he was productive. You you saw some things where you're like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work versus NHL defenseman. Uh, but 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 I think he's a good player, and he, he would he I think whatever he was a fourth round pick in the la, in the last draft, uh, he would go much higher if he redid that draft. They did take a couple of of much smaller defensemen in this 2022 draft, Lane Hudson and, and Miguel Tyranny. Uh, Obviously, you know, we're going to see where those go, but both players have dynamic attributes. And then I, I think there's a couple forwards worth mentioning, Philip Massar and, and Jan Mishak. If I give you your pick of one of those four to pop and become a top half of the lineup player, who you got? Well, well the guy I have the rated the highest is, is Lane Hudson, who we've obviously discussed a lot here in terms of why he's exciting and, and why he dropped to near the end of the second round in the 2022 draft. Um, I think all those guys in the mix, Jordan Harris is, is, is an intriguing guy too, kind of on that, on that precipice. I don't know if he's going to have that kind of high end potential that maybe uh, a Lane Hudson or, or a Josh Waugh has, but, but he, but he's a good player. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of depth in this system to go with maybe, you know, the, the, the high end guys we think of in Uri Slavkovsky and Cole Caulfield. For me, I think with Montreal system, it's not about those guys that, that it will determine the direction of the system. I'm really interested to see what happens with, with, with Kirby Doc over the next couple of years. That's a guy with, with all the tools in the world, didn't have a really good season last year in, in Chicago, but he was only a 20 year old in that season. And he's a guy that, if he kind of finds a way to maybe not be the guy you thought of when he was a third overall pick, but just try and recapture some of that, some of that consistency and make the most of that toolkit where he's you know he's six four, he can skate, he has great skill and playmaking ability. I think that's a guy who can help really shape the future of the Montreal Canadiens. At number six, you've got the Carolina Hurricanes, who most certainly are uh, are taking in full advantage of, of Andrei Svechnikov still technically being under 23 years old. But they've also had some boosts in recent years, namely Seth Jarvis, who they drafted in the first round in 2020. And he's really established himself as, as a high, high lineup NHL piece. Oh yeah, for sure. Seth Jarvis was such a he was so good in the playoffs this past year. We I know remember we were just doing this Calder discussion. We I remember we saying you can't incorporate the playoffs into the Calder discussion, but I wish you could have, because I think he might have changed his argument there a little bit based on how, on how well he was playing. He was a major part of their lineup there in those important games. And just a guy with a ton of speed, his competes high end. He's got great skill and hockey sense. I, I mean, this is, I know he's not the biggest guy, but this seems like a player who does all the things you think are going to work in the NHL for a very long time. Similar to the conversation with Montreal and Kirby Doc, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on Jesperi Kotkaniemi and, and the direction of his career from here. Obviously, the the saga of his career has been great spectacle with the offer sheet from Montreal to Carolina and then the long-term extension. Um, but now it's kind of at the point where things are going to settle and we're going to see what is Jesperi Kotkaniemi. So let me put that question to you first. What do you see in Jesperi Kotkaniemi at this stage? 
Well, I think he's a good hockey player. I kind of the same thing. I probably would even be a little more hesitant on him than Kirby Dawkins saying, well, he's not going to be the third overall pick type of player. But I think he is a good player. He's, you know, he's big. He's got good hands. He sees the ice really well. Uh, there's legitimate offense there. I think he's not the best skater, so that's kind of the big difference between him and Doc, for example. Uh, but uh, but he is a good player. There's a reason they assigned him to a – I think they signed him, what, it was like a seven or eight-year deal they signed him to in the middle of the season at, at a reasonable cap hit, mind you. But but he's he's a good player. I don't know if he's going to be a great player, but I can see a guy who can be a legitimate top six forward. If it's top six, it might be on the wing, but, but a top six forward regardless in the NHL for, for some time. Carolina has kind of been kings of the trade back for the last few years. And so no surprise, there, there's some real depth to their system now. But I think one guy who seems to be kind of rising to the top from that group, uh, Alexander Nikishin, the six foot three defenseman. Yeah. So Carolina has an interesting system for, for those reasons. I think they've kind of been, you know, the darlings of the, of the internet uh, draft analysis over the last few years. But, and, and that's, and I think they have a lot of depth. I don't know after you get past those NHL guys, especially Cobb and Jarvis, if you're really jumping up and down about the actual depth of the guys coming up right now in terms of the high end guys. But Nikishin would be the one you would highlight in that regard. And I think Carolina was hoping that he'd be a guy that would be coming soon. He has a year left on his contract. Uh, he was a top four defenseman at the Olympics for Russia just uh, in February. Big, mobile, physical defenseman who can make a first pass. And seemed like he was training on the path to be a top four defenseman. Nikishin, however, was just involved in a really significant uh, uh, trade in the, in the KHL where he was traded from Spartak Moscow uh, to uh, Scott St. Petersburg for some names people will recognize from this podcast, which was Fedor Svechkov, the Nashville first-round pick, Nikita Chipperkov, the Winnipeg Jets' top prospect, and the rights to Ivan Morozov and Kirill Marchenko, among several others, which makes me think Scott thinks they're probably going to extend this guy. Uh, it hasn't yet, but uh, that's one where if I was a Carolina Hurricanes fan, I'd be a little wary of, okay, when is this guy actually going to come over? Carolina did get to see a glimpse of Jack Drury last year and Scott Morrow on the way. Uh, that's kind of their, I guess, next tier guys. Anything on those two guys that for, for Carolina fans to look forward to? So Drury's the really most interesting one to me of, of, of all of their prospects. I think when you think of like the way Carolina is drafted, it's been skill. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm out I'm maybe mischaracterizing the way they draft. They draft skill. They draft hockey sense. They're, 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 they're going after talent. I mean, you look at the, just the last couple of drafts and the kind of players they select. And, and Drury's kind of not – he's not – Lacking in skill, but he's a guy who doesn't really play the way those other players do that they tend to gravitate towards. He's a hard worker. He's highly intelligent. Not the most flashy guy in terms of speed or skill. He's actually a guy I've been, I was wrong on. I wasn't a believer when he was in junior, uh, but he's just been so good the last couple of years. A uh, big part of a championship team in, in Vacchio in, this, in Sweden two years ago. Big part of a championship team in the American League this past season. Uh, he's a guy who I think is up. A very strong chance to be on the opening day lineup for the Hurricanes and, and be a part of a good NHL lineup uh, because he's so smart and so competitive. All right, on to number five, and really now we're in the territory of the true rebuilding teams. We, we've had some some blending elsewhere here in the, in the top ten, top fifteen. Now we're in the teams that have been professionals at this for the last for the last few years. That starts with the Ottawa Senators. At the top, they've got Brady Kachuk, uh, one of their crown jewel pieces, but 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 it's a really compelling top of the list. Tim Stutzla, Jake Sanderson, that gives you right there a really nice trio. Right. You know, Brady Kachuk's 
is gonna, I think, is already one of the premier power forwards in the National Hockey League. Tim Stutzel is is dynamic, uh, just an incredibly fun player to watch due to how good a skater he is, all the skill he has, the high energy in his game. And Jake Sanderson's a guy on the way as a guy who think is going to become a true top of the lineup all around defenseman. Back in 2019, Ottawa took Shane Pinto with the first pick of the second round. He's a guy who I think we're still kind of waiting to get the payoff from, not necessarily by his own fault. He's just been hurt. Right. I mean, he missed all of last season, but in the little he's played with Ottawa, particularly to the end of two seasons ago, and even the glimpses we saw you know, in camp last season, I, I I think this is a guy who's going to be an important part of their team this upcoming year. He's a big center. He's very intelligent. He's very competitive. Uh, he does have some offense. Uh, I I don't know if this is going to be the flashiest player among this lineup. They have other guys who maybe have a little bit more high-end skill in their lineup, but he's he's an excellent hockey player. And I think when you look at their their young core and and how you're kind of projecting the turnaround of this rebuild, and after the, their great off season where they add all that talent led by Alex DeBrinket, uh, I think Pinto's going to be a big part of that if they turn it around to some degree this season. They seem to kind of have a, a good top six, and obviously there's some age in it now with with Claude Giroux, but, and there's depth coming when you look at this system. You can look at Ridley Greggs, uh, Igor Sokolov, Zach Obstachuk, uh, Tyler Boucher, but I think the, the big fear everyone has around Ottawa is where is the blue line coming from? A guy that I saw at the USA camp a couple weeks ago was Tyler Clevin. He was at the World Juniors as well. Um, he's a guy who I think if you're a Sens fan, you're really hoping that he kind of takes the leap, takes the next step, and in the next year or two can be a big piece of your lineup. Right. I don't know if he's ever going to play big minutes. I think realistically he's a third pair, hard to play against guy who kills penalties. I mean, Jake Sanderson is the guy coming on defense, obviously. Uh, I think Clevin will play games. He'll be a full-time guy. And then you kind of have the 19th overall pick from a few years ago, Lassie Thompson. I like him. He's a good player. Is he going to be a top four defense in the NHL? I don't know. I don't know if he's high enough at either end of the re- of the ice, but he's a Good skater. He can move the puck. He has a big shot. He's took some steps this year in the American League to become a better defender. So he's he's in that mix too. Uh, uh, probably the one guy in the American League I was the most impressed by when I watched him this year was was Mad Shogard, the large goaltender. Uh, you know he's he's a guy who's one of the better goalie prospects at the NHL. Probably the best one who wasn't picked in the first round. Um, you know because he's there's he's a really high end athlete. He, his games coming together in terms of improving his reads and his overall technical game. Uh, so those are guys that I think could be part of their future as well. Well, and he's already debuted in, already in the NHL, which is, you know, maybe more by necessity than anything else. But I think it does tell you how much Ottawa believes in him. Going to number four, you get the Anaheim Ducks. And, and at the top, you know, we, we talked about it with Seattle. Everybody wants the one-two punch of centers. Anaheim's got a really good one as well with Trevor Zegers and Mason McTavish. Right, and two very different kinds of centers, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, Trevor Zegers is, is, has, might be one of the smartest players in the National Hockey League. Uh, just such a skilled player, incredibly imaginative, and one of the most entertaining players in the league already t- to watch. And Mason McTavish has really high-end skill too, but, uh, but, but I think his game is more well-rounded. There's more power in his game. He can play around the net area better than a guy like Zegers. Uh, but yeah, those two are are guys that you you can see a foundation building around down the middle with them, uh, and are exciting uh, players for the future for the Anaheim Ducks. 
And really, you know, not quite in their tier, but you could look at Nathan Gaucher, Isaac Lindstrom and say, you know, Anaheim has really done a good job of drafting the premium position. So you got those four at center. You got Jamie Drysdale, Olin Zellweger. They trade for Drew Hellison. They draft Pavel Minchikov. They draft uh, or they, they trade for Callie Klang. They've really the top of their system is all concentrated on these super premium positions. Yep, and I think that's why you, I think you'll be really excited if you're an Anaheim Ducks fan because you have the. Fa- I think there is a foundation here for the next great Ducks team. Maybe it's one or two more iffy years. We'll see how quick the turnaround is. It might take a little bit more time, but there is. I think there is a foundation here that you can build upon. And if 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 a lot of these guys pan out, which is no guarantee, a lot of them are still really young, not in the NHL yet. But if a lot of them do pan out. Wingers you could fill by free agency. Wingers you can fill uh, by by trade without having given up a, a ton of assets. But yes, in terms of centers and defensemen, they have a lot of talent at those positions. I want to give you a chance to to kind of talk about Jamie Drysdale here for a minute because he's he's a guy who got lost a little bit, fair or unfair, uh, in in the Moritz Cider rookie season. And uh, you know he's a guy who I know you still really love the season he put together. Yeah, I mean, I I think the uh, the analytics on him weren't that great. Just when I've talked to Dom at our at a uh, at our company about him, I think that's maybe dampened the enthusiasm. But he, he I think he could have played at the World Juniors, <laughs> the current World Juniors that are going on right now. He's right. he's still that young. Uh, I I mean, I you look at the minutes he was playing. He was playing power play already in the National Hockey League on a re- on a regular basis. Uh, I, I think this is a guy who's going to be a hell of a hockey player over the next couple of years. He, he's such an elite skater. Um, I don't know if the offense is ever going to be exceptional, but he's he's got offense. He thinks the game at a high level. He has a good stick. Uh, I, I I don't know if he's ever going to be like a superstar because he's because he is five foot eleven and he's not. I would say an offensive dynamo, but that skating is so exceptional, and I think this is a guy that projects as a true top pair defenseman in the National Hockey League. Maybe not quite that tier, but I think you kind of have a similar archetype in, in Olin Zellweger. Um, obviously, we've talked about teams don't want to have too many of those guys, but I think if, if you have both of these two in your NHL lineup, you, you're still going to be okay with that. Right, it, but it has to be just those two. But yes. I, but I, I would, I would agree. I think Zellweger's. I mean, he was, he was dominant in some CHL games. We, I watched this season. I, he, I mean, he he would really take over games for, for Everett and. Uh, put up huge numbers this season. You know, he was a guy we talked about a lot last season um, going into the draft because of how good he was at his U18 Worlds. And because he was such a young player, I believe he was whatever it was, like a couple of days from being eligible for for the 2022 draft. We always ask, well, if he was one week, uh, you know, younger, where would he go in next year's draft? And I think the answer would be quite high. Uh, <laughs> he would He would be, I think, a first-round lock at this stage. And uh, he's a guy who I think is, even though he is not the biggest defenseman, around 5'9", five, 5'10", five he's a guy that I think is trending into being a, a, a legitimate NHL player. And then the, the 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 new 2020 pick, Pavel Minchikov, to me, he's kind of the the antidote to this, although he does have kind of that offensive-minded zing to his game. But I think if he can lean into the meanness here, all of a sudden you have this six foot two player who who thinks the game really well, I think, has great offensive instincts, good skill. Uh, and then it's just, can you rein him in? Can he be the defensive kind of counter to these smaller, skilled defensemen? Right, and I think Drew Hellison's in that mix too. I like yep. him too. He's big. He's mobile. Uh, I think that's a guy who can who can be that kind of player as well. I, I think Minchikov is still probably more offensively tilted than and will need to work in the defense. But with his size and with his skating, I think he's a guy you think you can you can find a way to make it work. 
At number three, it's the New Jersey Devils, headlined, no surprise, by the Hughes brothers, Jack and Luke. But this year, they had the Simon Nemitz, the number two overall pick. They've still got Alex Holtz and Dawson Mercer kicking around first rounders from 2020. Uh, this is a team that you, f- you figure at this point, it's only a matter of time right before they are back in this playoff mix. I think Devils fans are hoping uh, you're right because it feels like that turnaround probably should have happened a year ago, correct? I think you know yeah. after they signed Dougie Hamilton, there was probably this optimism that, that things are getting better and and maybe maybe not going to make the playoffs, but we'll get closer. And and they definitely didn't get closer this past season. But then you know they make some moves in the off season, and I think you're going to see some pressure from the younger guys. Dawson Mercer was really good as a young guy. I think he'll keep t- continue to take steps. Maybe Alex Holt breaks through this season. Maybe Nolan Foote plays games in this season. Uh, yeah. Those two top-end defensemen, Luke Hughes and Simon Nemich, will not be on the NHL roster this season. But I think there's guys you can envision being there in about a year from now. Maybe Nemich is it's one to two years. I think Luke Hughes will be there this spring. Uh, and I would expect he will be one of the very best players in college hockey this upcoming season. Uh, but I think we it does start with Jack Hughes when we talk about this organization. We watched him in those first couple of years. There was he obviously didn't have the huge numbers, and it looked like there were some inconsistencies in his game at the NHL level. But for the most part, we continue to still rate him highly uh, because you know you know the player, you know how talented he is, you know about the elite skating, you know about the skill, you know about the high compete level. It just wasn't working for the for those first couple of years for whatever reason. And then this year, he had the true breakout season. He became the player we thought he was going to be. And I and with that Jack Hughes in the mix, I think the Devils' future looks a lot different. And there is a there is a clear path for me right now for this organization to become a playoff team in the next couple of years. I want to zoom in on Alexander Holtz because he's a guy who I, I think maybe we've been desensitized to the point per game AHL season by a 19 slash 20 year old player, partly because of, of what happened kind of in these pandemic years where you've had more of these guys in this league. Um, but I feel like Alex Holtz should be getting a little more spotlight and, and maybe it's because, you know, he's the same draft classes as Lucas Raymond, who's, who was already in the NHL last year, but that's still a really impressive season for a 19, 20 year old to put together. Oh yeah. And like some of those, I have some of those times you'd be watching the American League. He was dangling guys, and he was making all kinds of highly creative plays. And his skating is still not the best. He's not going to really going to you know, probably bowl through guys or attack the middle like you'd like. Uh, but he's a really talented player, really high in goal scores. He's a guy who's definitely still worth being excited about. And here's the kind of thing with New Jersey is if you look at their team last year, I, I it, it was all about the goaltending, right? Yeah. Uh, so. They had a higher goals per game than than two playoff teams last season, so it wasn't the offense. I think if they if they fix that goaltending for next season, and these young guys, whether it's Holt, whether it's uh, you know Mercer, whether it's Foot, whether it's some, some some other guys, if they even take some steps too, I, this is a team that I think can, can make a dent in the Eastern Conference. We'll see if Vitek Vanacek can be that answer kind of in the short term. Uh, Nico Dawes is the top prospect in net for the Devils. Do they have a potential starter there? Or is this more a, a backup, a 1B situation? I think Dawes and Akira Schmid are probably more backups. And I'm not even sure Vitek Vanacek is the answer, to be quite honest. But but time will tell in that regard. I've He's kind of a guy I always figured is the guy you want as a backup. I'm not sure he's a legitimate starter. We'll, we'll see whether Blackwood can regain some of his form i have some skepticism but but again well i think goaltending is the big question in new jersey going forward 
And number two, it's the Detroit Red Wings. And no surprise, obviously, more at Cider and Lucas Raymond at the top of this list. Uh, but they've also now added Simon Edvinson, Marco Casper in the last couple seasons. Um, and some of those many second and third round picks that they had had from early in the Steve Eisenman era are now progressing through the pipeline. Even I should say beyond second and third. Elmer Soderblom's coming over to North America this year. Uh, Jonathan Bergeron knocking on the door. I think he might have been the year just before uh, Eisenman took over. But kind of a blend there of some added depth. But I don't know if there's any true stars beyond the ones that are already in the NHL. Correct. I mean, I think you're kind of hoping that Edvinson or Casper have a, have the best chance to be that. Particularly, Edvinson is the one who just looks the toolsiest among all of those prospects. There, there's a really uniqueness when you watch him. You don't see defensemen who are that big, who can skate like him, and actually still have offense in their game. Uh, I would. He had a very good season. Uh, you know, he. What was interesting about him? I don't think he was incredible in the SHL that season. But what's interesting about Edvinson was just how much offense he produced for Furlunda as a young, as an 18-year-old defenseman, despite not getting a second of power play time. Oh, that's the key. I mean, for me, when I look at him, the, the strengths that jump off the ice to you are things that can lead to offense, right? It's great skating. It's good hands. Um, but when I see them in the SHL, I saw them more often turn into really good defense. He's got a really good defensive stick, covers a ton of ground. Um, but to your point, maybe part of that is because he wasn't getting kind of these premium offensive opportunities on the power play. Now, I'm not sure that I see a guy who's going to be a dynamic power play quarterback there, but it is more offensive opportunities. Right, but I'm saying still 19 points in 44 games as an 18-year-old defenseman without a second of power play time is something that I've almost never seen. Uh, and I think that just shows that, that I, again, I don't know if it's going to be uh, like I said, like I said, I don't know if he's a high end offensive guy. I think Sider's more of a power play guy uh, than than he is, and we'll see what how their blue line looks when Edmondson arrives, which could be this season. Uh, but I do think he has like, really good hands, and there is at least secondary NHL offense with a chance to be a primary driver. You think if it comes, it probably comes uh, via transition. The, the 2022 first round pick. Uh, Marco Casper is a guy who I think that's the debate on him right now. Is there going to be significant offense? Is it going to be kind of middle ground offense? That's probably the difference between whether you loved this pick or whether you were a little nervous about it. And we're recording this a day after he tries the Michigan in a preseason <laughs> game. <laughs> but uh, but I, I get it. I don't think it's kind of like I said, I don't think it's high end offense. Do I think it's – I absolutely think there's enough there to be a top six four in the NHL to go with the high motor. Uh, to, I think he can add PK duty with time into his repertoire. Uh, yeah, and I just – I think Casper to me, I don't – if you're building your team around Marco Casper, I, I probably have some hesitations. If you're saying, I think this guy can be the, 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 the complement number two to Dylan Larkin, I'm all in on that idea. Let's go back to the 2018 draft for the Red Wings, which I think is, is one of the last drafts that's really eligible for, for this list. Uh, they took Philip Zadina and Joe Valeno in the first round. At the time, both of these are considered, how did these guys get to this pick? Uh, four years later here, I don't know that we've seen either of them. I mean, I know we haven't seen either of them crack their place into a full-time top six role in the NHL. I'm curious, where do you see both of these two guys? I think with Zadina, he's still going to be a top six guy with time just because the skill is just so elite in his game and he can shoot the puck. And But I think by now, Red Wings fans are aware of what he can do and what he can't do. You know, he's a fine to good skater. He's not a blazer. He's not going to bull people over. He's not a, He's not going to generate a lot of offense in the inside portions of the offensive zone. Uh, but, you know, he's just a really skilled winger who can shoot the puck. And I think there's a, there's a place for that in the National Hockey League. 
it may not be the 30 to 35 goal scorer you thought you were getting with the sixth overall pick, but I still think this is an excellent hockey player. And with Joe Valeto, when he was drafted, the question was, okay, he's a good player, but just like, what is it? What does he do exactly? How, what, what's he high end at? And I don't know if the answer is really anything, but I think just because he's well rounded enough, I still think there's a place for him in the league and to help an NHL team win games. You know, he's got a good skater. He has good skill. He works hard. Um, you know, it might be a still a third liner, but it could be a third line center possibly, which is a valuable piece. Uh, so I still think this is a guy who's going to be an NHL, uh, have a long NHL career. Three forward prospects last season, I would say kind of maybe, I don't know if it was a breakout for Jonathan Bergen, but but he gets to the AHL and is right away one of the Griffins' best players. Elmer Soderblom, certainly a breakout. Carter Mazur, certainly a breakout at Denver. Uh, among those three guys, what do the Red Wings have on their hands? I think Soder, Soderblom is probably one of the most interesting prospects outside the NHL right now for, for those reasons. I, you know, that guy was, uh, he was what, a fifth round pick, sixth round pick? Sixth round, uh, yeah. And just... This absolute monster, sick, whatever he is, six foot six, six foot seven, uh, has legit skill and scoring ability to go with that. Just the skating has always been really, really tough to, uh, in his game. And I, you saw skill when he was 18 years old when they were drafted, but I, I think we, maybe at least I did, underrated exactly how skilled he was and, and how much offensive potential he would have at higher levels. And you saw it this year. The debate on him will be the skating, but just given how big and powerful he is and, and how he looked in the SHL this year. Uh, he's a guy that I, I think has a, has a good chance to, to help the Red Wings win games. Um, I think I rated him over Berger in this time last year too. And I got, and I got some, uh, some chin music from your readers over that. But mm-hmm. I think, th- uh, I think a year later, that's probably a little bit more of a consensus opinion, even though Burke, I think Berger's a good player. I just don't, I think there's a question exactly like what's his role in the NHL. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they see him as kind of a playmaker who they're trying to make a more well-rounded player. I think they want him to get more to the middle of the ice. And that's kind of the question is, can he? He is not a big player. I think, you know, there's some hope that he's a sturdy player. But I think historically, his game has all been from that, you know, rim around the outside. And it, it's, can you get him? I think they're happy with some progress he made. But but can he do that in the NHL? Certainly against big mobile defensemen. Yeah, no, that's kind of my where I am with the guy. I, I see the great skating, I see their skill, but he's not the biggest. He plays on the perimeter a little too much. So, like for me, he's you know third, third line winger, second power play type guy. So those guys just kind of seem somewhat replaceable, especially maybe not on the Red Wings a couple of years ago. But this team is you know they load up in free agency. They're they're, they're trying to turn the corner here. I I think he's a very good player. I just I wonder what his future is in this organization. On the defensive side, especially on the left side of the D, there is some depth here. Shai Bouillon, William Wallander, Albert Johansson, Donovan Sabrango. We could throw Emil Vero into that. I'm curious, though, for the Red Wings. Maybe Jared McIsaac, too. Yep, that's yep, absolutely Jared McIsaac. Uh, that's good depth. I think there's a lot of future NHL players in that group that we just listed. But I think for the Red Wings rebuild to get where it wants to go on schedule, one of them is probably going to have to step up and be able to play at least on a second pair. Do you see a player who can do that in this group right now? It's probably shy boy. I'm mean, gonna have to pick out one. I think that that when you have a six three defenseman who has legit, you know, skill, he can move. He can move the puck. Uh, I thought he was pretty good at, at Denver this season. I don't know if he was great, but it was that was that was a great team, and he'll he'll play a bigger role this upcoming year. I think he'll be on the U.S. World Junior team this upcoming year, and that's a guy who I think has the most potential to be a top four defenseman in the National Hockey League, even if I don't have him rated there currently. The last topic we got to get to is the goaltender, Sebastian Cosa. The Red Wings trade up for him in the 2021 draft. 
And I'm not sure it's really gone according to plan since then. He had a good year in the WHL. It wasn't an elite year in the WHL. I think Dylan Garand, who, who's kind of entered the World Juniors as Canada's starter over him, arguably had a better season. You can say Kosa had a better postseason. But is it fair for there to be a little bit of nerves around Detroit about Sebastian Kosa right now? Yeah, I think it's fair. Like I think his, his playoffs may have eased those nerves a little bit. But his regular season was definitely rocky. There was a lot of times you were watching the Edmonton Oil Kings and and he'd be good, but for a first round goalie, he wasn't a guy you were watching and thinking, hey, he's helping them really win hockey games. He's being a rock for them back there. It he, you just see a really good toolkit where you have the six six goalie who can who can move around the net really well. You and you see why he was a a first round pick, uh, but the consistency, uh, the play tracking, it, it wasn't really there this season. All right. And if you've been playing eliminator, number one on this list will not surprise you. Frankly, you probably didn't need to play eliminator to guess number one on this list because the Buffalo Sabres system, uh, I would say head and shoulders above the, the field here, Corey. I'm not sure how you'd characterize it, but I look at this and I see Noah Osland and Isaac Rosen, both mid round picks, top half of the first round picks in the last two seasons coming in at 10th and 11th on this list, which tells you all you need to know about how much high-end there is here. Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power, the first overall picks, no surprise. You've also got Dylan Cousins, Jack Quinn, Peyton Krebs, Matt Savoy, and on and on. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to talk about. I mean, let's talk, you mentioned Jack Quinn. Let's talk about Jack Quinn for a second. I mean, his, we, we probably didn't talk about the year, we talked about it, we didn't, probably didn't talk enough about the year he had in the American League this season for a guy who was, just a whatever it was a two years removed from his draft, sixty one points in forty five games. Even though he did, he had a tough postseason. That's was it. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a, yeah. that's a hell of a season uh, for such a young player. And when you were watching those, those Rochester American games, he his skill really stood out. His, his teammate John Jason Paterka also really good in the AHL point per game, and and also very good in the playoffs there. For Rochester, you add Peyton Krebs into that mix, who played, you know, in the NHL for extended periods and and was also good in the American League. Uh, their, their top ten pick, Matthew Savoy, is is in that mix. Uh, to go with all those other high end guys you mentioned, and oh by the way, they had a goalie in in college hockey who had a nine fifty save percentage this past season, and in Devin Levi. And we're recording this from the World Juniors, where Gary Kulich has been one of the best players for the, for the Czechia. So there's. There's a lot to talk about with Buffalo. You go, you go all the way down this list. There's NHL player Matias Samuelson checking in at number thirteen. I mean, there's the depth here is great. I think Buffalo fans are hearing everything we're saying and are like, "Yes, that's nice." But I've heard <laughs> this story before, and I'm sure they're wondering why is this time different. It's a fair question. I, I think to me, part of it is just the preponderance of talent all at once. You're not pinning all of your hopes on a couple of these guys have to hit. I'm looking right now at just the forward, pro, just the under 23 forwards on this list. And if you add Tage Thompson, who I think is 24, you have an entire top nine. And Casey Middlestadt. And Casey Middlestadt. But even without Casey Middlestadt, right? You'd have an entire top nine of what I think could be a playoff team in about four or five years, right? Like That's how spread out the depth is here. You can go uh, Thompson, Cousins, uh, and Noah Oslin down the middle. On the wings, you've got Quinn, Krebs, Savoy, Paterka, Coolidge, and Rosen. Like If that's your top nine in three or four years, not all of those guys are going to hit, right. but you can be really confident that a good number of them are. And it's, it's just kind of the preponderance. It just gives you so much safety net. 
Yep, no, I, I agree. And like I said I think Buffalo fans, listen, they've been through the rebuilds. They they were they were they lived through the the, the future is bright under Jack Eichel era. And you know, obviously Jack Eichel is a great player. Sam Reinhardt was a great player. Rasmus Ristolainen ended up becoming a very good player. There were some misses in there. Grigorenko, Gurdensons, uh, Alexander Nylander. Uh, so they, they they're well aware that not all draft picks are going to hit. But but at least in my opinion, they are the organization in the best position right now to improve their future based on the collection of young talent they have in their organization. Because there is a lot of high end here, and there's a lot of depth here. And We'll see how the next couple of years play out for the Buffalo Sabres, but I, at least looking at them right now, I think you have to at least like the position they're in currently if you're a Sabres fan. And that's before we've even gotten to their two number one overall picks, really. We haven't really talked about Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin. I mean, obviously, well, I think you, well, you can... Well, there's a, that's, that's, they're, they're, that's a big reason why they're rated this high, but yes, <laughs> but yes, we haven't talked about them yet in this segment. Yeah, and, and I, I to me, I look at the, the way that NHL teams, the really successful ones, have been built... In the last few years, you look at the last three champions, Tampa and Colorado, uh, or, or the two te- last two champions who have won the last three years, they had multiple number one defensemen on their teams. Yes, I think Buffalo is going to probably need to add a veteran opposite uh, one or both of them at some point here. But if both of these guys do pan out to be number one defensemen, maybe that's your counter to Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram. Your counter to Victor Hedman, uh, Ryan McDonough, or, or, or Mikhail Sergachev for that matter. I think, you know, everything's in a really good place here. And, and we'll get to Devin Levi in a second. But I think a lot of it starts with these two big defensemen. And they play in different ways. I mean, uh, Power is this this huge defenseman who skates really well. And he has good offense in his game. He can make plays. He has skill. But he's probably not what I call a game breaker in terms of his offense. He's just this could be this really well-rounded two-way defenseman. And Dowling is the exciting one. He's the guy who's got incredible hands and an offensive mind and he's but he's still got good feet and he's you know he's got good length in his game and maybe not the best defender you're ever going to see on your team and that's kind of been his issues in the NHL but he took really big steps forwards here playing all year under under Don Granado and I I, I think this is going to be a, a top scoring defenseman in the NHL for a very long time. Let's talk about Devin Levi here now because I, I think he's another one a uh, goalie, obviously, they acquired in a trade, but another piece that I think you can look at and, and say, hey, they have something here, and, and this may be their heir apparent in that. Right. He was a big part of the Sam Reinhardt trade, obviously. Uh, it just had a, had a monster season. It, like I said, I think it was a 952 save percentage at Northeastern. He And just the games you watched, he was just absolutely dominant. Now, with that in mind, he is a six foot old goal. You have to mention it. I know people don't like it when you mention it, but you have to mention it because there are not a lot of guys in the NHL who help NHL teams win games consistently who look like that. But I think when you just see how intelligent Levi is, how athletic he is, how consistent he is, I think this is a guy who has a very good chance to be the next one of those who looks like that and does help his team win. I guess there, we can also talk about Eric Portillo here. I mean, and maybe what happens with Levi could dictate this because that's another yeah. prospect who I think Buffalo fans can be excited about. The question is, will they will sign, sign him before August 2024? Yeah, and that's I would say that's 50-50 right now, if I'd if be perfectly honest. Like, I, I think that's a guy who's probably looking at at the situation and, and, and wondering if there's a place for him there or if he's lo- or might be looking elsewhere. But the good news is you still have Topias Leinonen, who I think you could argue right in the same class as Portillo, second round pick in 2022. So there is some depth to the goaltending here for Buffalo as well. 
Right, yeah, Landon was the first goalie picked in this most recent draft. Big athletic goaltender. Was a little inconsistent this past season, but there's a, there's a lot of tools, a lot of upside there. And a little bit younger than Levi, so they'll, they'll probably arrive at different times. When do we think this all comes together for the Sabres? I, we're, we're talking about kind of the future here and, um, you know, some of these guys just got drafted. Some of them are probably three years away from from really finding sure. their legs in the NHL. Do you think that's around where it is at three to four years from now? Could it be sooner? I think that's probably – you're probably more on, on the money there in terms of the time frame. I think, you know, obviously Dowling and Power and Cousins are in the NHL right now. I'm guessing Jack Quid and J.J. Paterka just and Krebs will start to arrive this season and start to help the team. Matthew Savoy is is probably a few years away. Devin Levi is at least one year away. Uh, so there's this is going to take a couple more years, I think. But but I you I think you have to like the trajectory. I think you're just hoping as a Sabres fan, do you see progress? And kind of like in the vein of the LA Kings this past year, where you have all these prospects. Eventually, in the next year or two, you want to see them make meaningful progress, so that it gives an indicator to to management and the ownership. Okay, now is the time to invest. And, and turn the switch and start trying to make moves to get high-end veterans uh, so we, we can become a legitimate NHL club. But good things seem to be on the horizon for Buffalo, uh, and I think everyone around the league is, probably feels that that's well-earned. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series and all of these Pipeline Series rankings. Uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. So please do that, and we'll talk to you soon.